This is Psalm 78, and it's titled, A Contemplation by Asaph. And it's, a, it's an extra long psalm. It's not as long as you know, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. But we've been going through psalms, and a lot of them are you know, 10 verses, 12 verses, sometimes they're 20. This is a 72 long verse psalm. So in a minute, we're going to read it, and it'll be long. But there's only really two things I want to say about this psalm. And I'm going to say one first, and then one at the end. So in verse 6 of this psalm, which we haven't read yet, it says that you should tell the things that God does to the generation to come that they might know, even the children who should be born, so that they should arise and tell their children. So this psalm was telling us in verse 6 that there are things that God has done, we have to tell them to our children, and we have to get them to tell it to their children. There are things that have to be remembered and passed on. And um, so that's very, very true. So um, in the body of Christ, for example, in church, we go to church, each one of us must find faith for ourselves. So you can have faith, or you know, you might be married and your wife may have faith, or your husband might have faith, and then you have children. Now you can take your children to church and you want them to have faith too, but they have to find it for themselves. So that's a, a, a reality. However, you can help them find their own faith by telling them what God has done. And it seems like the Lord wants that and it's important. So of course, there are things we do as rituals to help that happen, like going to church every week. And also Easter and Christmas, there are significant occasions we do that help people remember and information is passed on. So this psalm is you know, promoting that idea, but this psalm is also doing the idea. And when we read the psalm, you're going to see what I mean, because it's actually kind of like an outline of the history of Israel right up to this point. It's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was at least two different writers, but he was a person who lived at the time of David and another person later who was in the band of Asaph. And uh, this one is written by the guy that lived at the time of David. So he's recounting an outline of all that God has done up to when they were alive. And so he's actually doing the thing he says to do. He's actually created a song. The song is kind of like a list of all the things that God has done. And then you go out and you sing that song. There's no better way of remembering things than if they're in a jingle or in a song. And so we find that songs like Amazing Grace, they're so well known that even non-Christians know them. So if you're at a, a, a sporting event or someplace and someone sings Amazing Grace, everyone sings along. Those type of songs are perfect for, for conveying truth about God. And I think Christmas carols are a perfect example of songs that lots of people know and they're full of God's truth and you can use them to teach people about God. So Asaph has written this, or I called it a didactic psalm. Didactic just means a psalm that's used to teach people. So it's a song which has lessons in it, and it's designed, I think, to teach the next generation. So we're going to read it now, and then I'm going to make a point at the end. So, Psalm 78. Hear my teaching, my people. Turn your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of Yahweh, his strength and his wondrous deeds that he has done. For he established a covenant in Jacob and appointed a teaching Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, 
that the generation to come might know, even the children who should be born, who should arise and tell their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget God's deeds, but keep his covenant and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not make their hearts loyal, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his doings, his wondrous deeds that he had shown them. He did marvellous things in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He split the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand as a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all night with a light of fire. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as out of the depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Yet they still went on to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. They tempted God in their heart by asking food according to their desire. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore Yahweh heard and was angry. A fire was kindled against Jacob. Anger went up against Israel because they didn't believe in God and didn't trust his salvation. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna on them to eat and gave them food from the sky. Man ate the bread of angels. He sent them food to the full. He caused the east wind to blow in the sky, and by his power he guided the south wind. He also rained meat on them as dust, winged birds as the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the middle of their camp, around their habitations. So they ate and were well filled. He gave them their own desire. They didn't turn from their cravings, their food was yet in their mouth when the anger of God went up against them and killed some of their fattest and struck down the young men of Israel. For all of this they still sinned and didn't believe in his wondrous works. Therefore he consumed their days in vanity and their years in terror. When he killed them, then they inquired after him. They returned and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God their Redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being merciful, forgave iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many times he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes away and doesn't come again. How often they rebelled against him in the desert and grieved him in the desert, they turned again and tempted God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his hand, nor the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. How he set his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the field of Zoan. He turned their rivers into blood and their streams so that they could not drink. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He also gave their increase to the caterpillar and their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, their sycamore figs with frost. He gave over their livestock to the hail and their flocks to hot thunderbolts. He threw on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, 
indignation and trouble and a band of angels of evil. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence and struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength in the tents of Ham. But he led out his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them safely so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. He brought them to the border of his sanctuary, to his mountain, which his right hand had taken. He also drove out the nations before them and allotted them for an inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but they turned back and dealt treacherously like their fathers. They were twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved into jealousy with their engraved images. When God heard this, he was angry and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he abandoned the tent of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity, his glory into the adversary's hand. He gave his people over to the sword and was angry with his inheritance. Fire devoured their young men. The virgins had no wedding song. Their priests fell by the sword and their widows could not weep. Then the Lord awakened as one out of a sleep. Like a mighty man, his shouts by reason of wine. He struck his adversaries backward. He put them into perpetual reproach. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth which he had established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that have their young. He brought him to be the shepherd of Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he was the shepherd according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Thanks for hanging, hanging in there for those 72 verses. So it's a recounting of you know, the basic history of Israel from Moses through to King David. Um, it's a telling of what God had done to the next generation so that they would remember. And in the song, and presumably if we knew the song, it'd have a catchy tune. <laughs> one that would hopefully stick in your head and all the kids would learn the words and you know they'd grow up and teach it to their children and so on. So there's just one kind of main point I want to focus on here. And uh, it's, it's said in verse 9 that the children of Ephraim, armed and carrying bows, turned back on the day of battle. A little bit later in the psalm it said that God rejected Ephraim and chose Judah. So... Um, Way when, we, when we were way back in the book of Genesis, we were talking about the, the, the sons of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons was Joseph. Now, um, the firstborn son would generally get what's called the first, uh, you know, like the birthright or the first, the double portion. So in the inheritance of a father in, you know, those ancient times, they would split the inheritance up between uh, the number of boys plus one. So if you had three sons, you divide the inheritance into four, and the first son, the oldest, would get a double portion. He'd get two parts out of the four, and the other boys would get one part out of the four. That's the double portion. So in Israel, you know, in uh, I mean, in you know, Jacob's twelve sons, the oldest was actually Reuben, um, but he did some disgraceful things, and they he got scrubbed off from uh, you know being getting the double portion. 
So the person who ended up getting the double portion was Joseph. Joseph was actually the firstborn son of the second wife. So Jacob had two wives. We discussed all of this in the Genesis videos. And so the second wife was Rachel. Rachel only had two boys, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the firstborn son of the second wife and Joseph got the double portion. Now, Joseph had two sons. One was Ephraim and one was Manasseh. So those two tribes were the double portion. Those two tribes got included in Israel as two of the 12 tribes. Now, in your mind, you're probably thinking, all right, there were 12 sons. Joseph's not counted, but his two sons are counted in. That's 13. True, that is 13. That's how the first portion system works, you know. The oldest gets a double lot. But what happened was Joseph dropped out, but so did Levi. So when they came into the promised land and they split the land up between 12 tribes, Levi did not get a portion. So it was still 12, even though it was actually 13. But technically, Ephraim and Manasseh are the tribe of Joseph, one tribe. And so what happened is Ephraim's technically kind of like, Ephraim's the, um, the son of Joseph that's kind of like the one that, that was the leader, I guess. So, you know, technically Joseph's going to be the leader because he's the firstborn, so-called firstborn, the one with the double portion, he's the leader. And when the Israelites were going into the promised land, the leader that took them in was a man called Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim. So it, it actually worked out that the tribe that was the tribal leader was Ephraim, and that's how it was, going right back to Joseph. And the actual leader that took them in was Joshua, who was also from the tribe of Ephraim. So the, the, whole, the leadership, I guess, of Israel rested with Ephraim and with Joshua. But it says in verse 9 that the children of Ephraim turned back on the day of battle. And um, I'd done a lot of reading. I read some commentators. Now, I didn't read lots of commentators, and I guess that's part of the problem. But the commentators I did read said that there was no battle in the Bible that Ephraim turned back on. And um, for starters, this is written at the time of Asaph. So anything historically that happened after this point, you couldn't count. It's only anything up to this point, And there's actually no battles up to this point, really much at all, except for the coming into the promised land where they had all those battles. But after that, it's just the time of the judges and there doesn't seem to be any battle where Ephraim turned back. In fact, if anything, they were kind of, you know, whenever there was a battle, they would turn up. And um, so the commentators seem to kind of think, well, you know, maybe there was a battle that we didn't know about. Maybe something historically happened that wasn't recorded in the Bible. They were saying things like that. And um, I think I figured it out. And since I figured it out, I read it in at least one more commentator. This was the Kaufman Commentaries. He suggested the thing that I thought might be the case. And so what I thought was the case was this. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, led by Ephraim and led by Joshua, who was the leader who was from the tribe of Ephraim, they were given a job by the Lord. The job was to completely remove the evil inhabitants of the land. And uh, it sounds cruel in today's modern and politically correct way of thinking that God would say such a thing like that. Uh, there's good reasons for all that. And you can go back and watch our Joshua videos where I explain all of that. But basically, they were supposed to um, destroy the inhabitants in the land because their way of life was so evil and so wicked, it had, to be, it had to be removed. It could not be left to remain. But when they went into the land, they did not do that. Joshua went in and they, had, they 
conquered a few early cities and did that, but then they began to relax and they did, did not end up conquering the whole land at all. They ended up moving in and settling and all those Amorites, Girgashites, Perizzites, all those people ended up just living in the land alongside of them and corrupting Israel. So the battle that Ephraim turned back on was not like a specific battle, but it was the entire thing that God had asked them to do. God had asked them to go in and complete a purpose, and they went in and started it, but then they just gave up and didn't do it. So it's years later, 400 years later, that David becomes the king. Now, what tribe is David from? Judah. David becomes the king, and we read when we went through First and Second Samuel how David conquered all the tribes. He conquered the Edomites, conquered the Moabites, conquered the Jebusites, conquered the Amorites, conquered the Philistines. David went through the land, and he actually did the job that Joshua was supposed to do. The only problem was by the time David did it, the ideas and the evil, the things that had been in the land before them had actually infected the Israelites. So it was, it was never as good as it would have been in, if Joshua had actually done it. But this whole Psalm 78 recounts all of that history, the fact that they were supposed to do this job with Joshua, they failed, they turned back on the day of battle. So God rejected Ephraim, it says he rejected Shiloh. Now, we covered this in the book of uh, 1 Samuel 2. Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was set up and the Ark of the Covenant was there and Eli was the high priest and the Philistines came in and flattened that place. They captured the Ark of the Covenant. They took it away. Shiloh was destroyed. The town of Shiloh burnt to the ground. Well, the very place where the Ark of the Covenant was rested flattened and gone. Well, that's the Lord rejecting Shiloh. And guess which of the tribes of Israel that tabernacle was set up in? Ephraim, same place. So it's later that says God chose Judah, David. <laughs> and so David comes and the last verse of this whole psalm, it says that David shepherded them with integrity uh, of heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hands. So this psalm is a recounting of Israel. It's supposed to be telling the next generation what God has done. But when we look at it with New Testament eyes, we realize David's a picture of Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. When it says that, that God chose Judah, who is he choosing? He is choosing Christ. And who is the shepherd who shepherds us with integrity of heart and skillful hands? Christ. <laughs> so this whole psalm is about Israel, but it's a great picture of God's plan and purposes and his redeeming of us. If I was going to take a lesson out of this for you or for me, what would I say the lesson is? I'd say the lesson is don't be like Ephraim. Don't turn back on the day of battle. And what that means is whatever the Lord's called you to do in your life, whatever is the purpose of your life, don't give up on it. But go to the Lord in faithfulness and say, Lord, I'm here to do your will. Help me. And if you don't know what it is, you say, Lord, I want to do your will. Show me what you're asking me. And the Lord will reveal his purposes to you and don't turn back. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 78, a didactic psalm, a teaching song. I pray that its lesson would rest in all of our hearts and grace would flow to us that we would not turn back on the day of battle as Ephraim did. So Lord, bless your people and bless every listener today in Jesus' name. Amen.